What does Christmas... How would you answer that question? We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But first, on the back of your bulletins is information that is important for the season that you need to know. Um, Right up front, a town holiday celebration. We partner with the town of Dillon every year. We started this three or four years ago. And if you've not been, I would encourage you to come. It's a really fun night. Honestly, it's a night when we have four, five, six hundred people who don't normally come to church will come into our church. It's fun. It's chaotic. There's food. There's a concert. There's food over there, Santa Claus, concert over here. And uh, it's just a great time. It's a mess. I love it. It's packed full. So even if you just stop by for a few moments, you don't have to come for the whole time. It's come and go as you please. But it's filled with people, many of whom do not know the Lord. So let me encourage you to come. I invite you to that. Christmas Eve services are four and six. And remember that uh, we are expecting a full house. So this room, that room across there in the narthex will be full. So if you don't get here early, you'll be sitting in the parking lot. And then finally, we are in need of ushers and greeters to, to serve communion and to take care of all those people require servants. And so if you would like to help out, <clears throat> let me encourage you to either call the office. I think there's a sign up out on the Welcome Center. You can put your name down and we can, uh, we'll, be glad, we'll gladly use you. So we can use all the help that we can get. So let's pause for just a moment before we get into the Bible, into the topic today, and let's just pray. You know, this is a time of year, for whatever reason, this is a time of year when people will listen. You can have the conversation. I was just in Starbucks and talking to one of the, the uh, ladies who serves coffee, and um, she asked me what I did. I told her I was a pastor. And so we chatted for a little bit. And I said, oh, by the way, if you don't have any place to uh, worship on Christmas Eve, I'd like to invite you to our church. And she said, you know, I've actually been thinking about that. And uh, tell me about your church. We talked for quite a while. Can I bring my friend? Oh, we'd love to have your friend. You know? And so it's, it's that easy. It really is that easy. This is a time of year when, for whatever reason, people are realizing um, with all of the commercialism of Christmas... It doesn't solve what's going on in here. And they know that. They know life is not as good as they're pretending. And so this is the time of year to really ask the Lord to help us and bless us. So let's stop and pray and ask that. God, first of all, we are grateful that you are God. All the songs, Lord, of praise. We lift up our hands to you and we praise you. But Lord, we ask that uh, during this time of the year, during Advent that you would give us special opportunities with our loved ones, our friends, maybe people we just meet for one time, to reach into their lives and love them, uh, love them more than we've ever loved them and perhaps have a conversation with them. Lord, this is your work, not ours. Our job is to love. It's your job to, to convict and to get their attention. So I pray, Lord, that you would give each of us opportunities because we do love these people. We know that they are desperate. We know that their life isn't as good as they're pretending it to be and as they want it to be. So, Father, I pray that you would help us during this time as a church to reach out well. And bless our time today as we open up your word because we love to talk about you. We love to think about the things that are important to you. And, Lord, we just love to be in your presence. Thanks for smiling with us. In your son's name, amen. So, What does Advent taste like? What does Christmas taste like? Uh, Most of you, I bet, have never asked that question. I never have asked that question. 
Every year we let the children pick the theme. They tell me what I'm going to talk about. And so they chose the five senses. What does Christmas look like, taste like, feel like, sound like? All right, you know. And so look like. And so I get the chance, uh, the opportunity to think about that for quite a bit. And I have to admit, I've never sat down and thought about a theology of taste. What does it taste like? And so before we get into that, let's remind you what Advent is all about. Advent, in a very simple sense, is the appearing of Christ. And so we talked last week about uh, Simeon, for example, that the Jewish people, they were under Roman oppression and they were desperate for the Lord to come back. It's not easy for us to be desperate for the Lord to come back, is it? Because life is pretty good for most of us, but that's really where we're trying to go. We talked last week about rituals and practices and traditions and all of that. And uh, we have a lot, by the way, how do you like the stage? It's good, isn't it? I confess I have absolutely nothing to do with it. All I know is it's going to change to week as we journey toward Christmas. And so here's what we're nervous about. Here's what we want to make sure happens. A tradition that makes you feel good is a failure. It's a failure. That is not the goal of a tradition. A ritual. Everything from communion to what we do for Christmas the old King James, I love the imagery in 1 Corinthians that, that we see through glass darkly. The, uh, the newer translations talk about in a mirror that's, that's hard to see clearly. It's the same image. And a, a ritual or a tradition done well takes that dark glass and just for a glimpse makes it clear so we can see the truth about Jesus. That's what it does. A ritual done well allows us to capture a glimpse where Jesus enters into our world in a way that's understandable to us. A ritual done poorly does the opposite. It shields you from the truth. Shields you from the truth. We have all kinds of traditions represented here. Some of you come from high church, liturgical backgrounds where rituals are part of your life. And I've heard from many of you that over time it just becomes a ritual. You don't even pay attention anymore. That's a ritual that has created the opposite effect. Some of you have never celebrated Advent and you're wondering why in the world are we doing this? Because we want to give you a glimpse of who Jesus is using different senses, different experiences. So we do the Advent candle, but it's more than a candle. Don't think of it only as a candle. A ritual done well not only gives you a glimpse of who the Lord is, but it generates hope. It generates true hope that the Lord will come back for us. He will. And that's what this is reminding us of. So don't be satisfied just with a candle, lighting a candle. Whatever you're doing in your families, don't be satisfied with that. Develop rituals that develop traditions. So we are talking about an attitude. That's what rituals are supposed to do, is to create that attitude of eagerness, expectancy. We can't wait for the Lord. That's what we long for, to be with the Lord, to be in His presence forever. So we're focusing on the five senses. What does Christmas taste like? You'd be amazed how hard it was to think this sermon through. So I did, I did some work all week long, and I was talking to several of you, and I was astounded when I just looked up the word taste. You know, there's so many places we can go in the Bible. We can talk about taste, sweetness, bitterness, all of that, and it's all helping us come to this idea of taste something. Have you ever thought about the fact that when God made us with five senses— 
that he meant for those senses to be a means for us to experience him? You ever thought about that? I confess, I haven't put a lot of thought into it until the last month. When he created this way, these senses are here for a reason. So I'm going to read you some verses. They're not going to be up on the overhead because I want you to listen to them. Listen to the stories that I'm going to read. The first one comes out of Exodus chapter 16. The people are now standing at the base of Mount Sinai. They've come out of Egypt three months out. They're waiting for the Lord to introduce himself. And this is what it says in uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. God decided to give them manna because they need food. How are they going to eat while they're wandering through the wilderness? They're out of Egypt now and they're not being fed anymore. And so he gives them manna. So they called it manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Tasted like wafers made with honey. Now, we soon find out, once they have sinned against the Lord and are committed to basically 40 years of wandering, that this taste every single day for 40 years isn't exactly what they intended or desired. Pretty soon they're complaining. We remember when we used to have leeks and cucumbers and fish in Egypt. Now we just get this manna. That's the story today. But this is the beginning of the journey when God is blessing them, or I should say when they're seeing it as a blessing. So Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna, it's a certain volume, and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Okay, what do we learn about this story? God gave them manna, and then he told them to preserve it so that they would remember his provision. Taste. Tasted like honey. That way, every time they ate it, they would remember what he did for them. See how taste all of a sudden plays a very important role right at the beginning of the Exodus. So I'm going to take you to Psalm 34, one of my favorite psalms. Uh, Psalm 34 is a uh, psalm of thanksgiving. It includes rejoicing. Verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Uh, has all kinds of information in here. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It has sorrow. Um, during my first wife's decline, before she died, I went to be with the Lord. This was one of my favorite verses. I, I quoted it almost every day. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And every day as we got closer to death, I would just remind the Lord, I'm one of those who's crushed in spirit. I could sure use your nearness. That's a long time ago. I never forgot this verse. Right smack in the middle of this psalm, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you taste the Lord? 
taste and see that the Lord is good. We learn from this that our senses, they certainly have a very physical property about them. We eat food that we like, don't we? But there's but it communicates so much more. We taste friendship, don't we? If you have a good marriage, we taste love, safety. If you don't have a good marriage, come see me. We'll work on it. Okay? Don't need to be settled with a bad or mediocre marriage. But we taste it. And so all of a sudden our senses are used in a very, uh, opened up in a very uh, metaphorical, a very new way of thinking about how we experience life. Taste is very, very fun. Then you go to Psalm 119. It's one of my favorite psalms, the longest psalm in the Bible. Um, every, every verse in Psalm 119 except two is talking about how wonderful the law is and God's precepts. When I was in India, <laughs> it has nothing to do with Advent, but every time I read Psalm 119, I can't help but think about it. When I was in India, I was on my way to the airport. I'd been there for two weeks teaching. And so they're taking me to the airport. And... Um, we get to the place where we're supposed to go straight and we turn left. And I'm going, I think the airport's that way, but we're going this way. Okay. We had left early. I didn't know what we were doing. So we're driving down the road a little bit further, a few blocks, and then we turn left again. And I said, isn't the airport back that direction? And, and uh, my Indian friend said, oh, yes, but we have a, a stop we have to make first. And I said, okay, great. And um, so we pulled into a parking lot, and I said, where are we? And he said, we're at a missionary convention. Indian missionaries from all around the country are gathered for this big convention. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. How many are we talking? He said, five, six, seven hundred, maybe. Eight hundred, I don't know, a big group. And I said, great. We're walking in. I said, who's the speaker? You are. (laughs) Ministry. Okay. Great, thanks for the three-minute warning. So when I walk in, they're handing out these cards to everybody, and they're in Hindi, and I can't read it. But I notice 119, 106, or something like that. And I knew enough to know that that's got to be Psalm 119. So I got it in front of everybody with a translator, and I said, let's, uh, I understand that you, uh, I can see from looking at your card that you're in Psalm 119. And everybody starts laughing. And, and the translator looks at me, he goes, you speak Hindi? I said, no, there's only one book in the Bible that has 119 in it. <laughs> So I knew exactly where we were. This, this, this whole psalm is organized around love for God's word and his law. Listen to verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. You see, for a person that is walking in faith... I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about being faithful and and just day after day fighting that battle to honor the Lord. When you open up these texts, they become sweet like honey. And God willing, that's what Mark and I do for you up here is that we open up the scriptures to you in a way that tastes sweetly to you. You I've told the elders that I personally don't care if you remember any verse I talk about. When I come up here, here's what my prayer is every single Sunday. That when you leave here, you love the Lord a little bit more than when you came in. That's my prayer. And if we're anywhere, anywhere in this wonderful Bible, anywhere, it doesn't matter to me. You pick the passage. Anywhere we are in here, we should be able to do that. It becomes sweet to us. 
because we learn about the redemption of God he is and how wonderful he is. Well, we can keep going. John 2, I wrote, made some more notes. John 2, the wedding of Cana. The master, the head waiter, Jesus says, okay, well, they ran out of wine. That's a major, major faux pas in that culture. They ran out of wine, so they come to Jesus, and he says, well, fill the, those six stone water jars full, full up. It's interesting that he used six stone water jars because those are the jars for cleaning. It's like the dishpans. Fill up the dishpans with water. And he said, now, dip some, take some out and take it to the head waiter. And he tasted it, and he said, most people serve the best wine up front until everybody's drunk, and then they give them the cheap wine. You've done the opposite. You have saved the very best wine for the second half of the party. I don't know if he knows it or not, but he had just tasted the glory of the Lord. Because right after that, it says this was the first miracle in which Jesus revealed his glory. The very first miracle was to turn water into wine. I've often wondered, the Bible doesn't tell us, a lot of questions I have that the Bible doesn't answer. What that head waiter think? Did they go to him later and say, do you realize you just experienced the glory of the Lord? This is the Messiah, the glory of the one true living God. You just tasted it. The best wine the world has ever seen reveals his glory. Hebrews 2, verse 9. Jesus tasted death on our behalf. Many of you have tasted death, haven't you? I tasted it when I said goodbye to my first wife, my mom, my dad, friends. Seems to be more and more as the years go by. I don't like that taste. It's the opposite of sweet. We're not, we're not made for death, are we? We're not created for that. And yet here we are in a, in a world around us that's broken and we taste these things that aren't very good to us. They don't taste very good. So Jesus tasted death on our behalf. So what do we make of all this? Think about where we just came. God comes to us in a variety of ways and our senses are one of those. Today specifically we're looking at taste. We'll look at the other senses over the next four weeks till Christmas. So we talked about uh, his provision, manna. Tastes sweet to them like honey. And it reminds us that God provides for us. We're going to circle back to this one in just a minute when we get to communion. Thanksgiving. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So when we get that taste of the Lord standing with us and helping us and supporting us, enlightening us, encouraging us, empowering us, all of those things, all those things that Scripture talks about, that we taste that sweetness of the Lord and it causes thanksgiving. His Word. His Word, if used appropriately, tastes sweet to us. If we use it to beat you over the head, it doesn't taste very sweet, does it? But if we use it to help you understand the Lord, the great God, the living God, in a more rich way, then it tastes sweet. And it draws you in closer. It reveals His glory. Like the wine that Jesus made. It reveals His glory to us. By the way, this, all, that, all those uh, stuff out there are not meant to be displays. They're meant for you to enjoy. So take a sample. Take some bites of that stuff out there. Taste Advent. Taste Christmas. Uh, sadly, I've been doing it all morning. The peanut brittle plate was that tall when I got here. Now it's like, here. I love peanut brittle. <clears throat> you see, God brings the holy, he brings the sacred into our world through taste. 
He does it through a variety of ways, but taste is one of them. Taste is one of them. He brings his world, holy, sacred, into our world through taste. Never thought of it that way. I'm indebted to our children. But it's done in such a way to teach us, to transform us, to draw us into his holiness, to draw us into his presence. I'm very thankful for all the psalms, songs that you picked, uh, organized around the whole taste. I, I could feel myself drawn into that sense of the holy uh, by, this, by this metaphor. Remember, a ritual done well brings Christ to us and generates hope. A ritual done poorly shields us from the truth and makes us focus on how good we feel. So, this is a story of Christmas. I'm going to read you a story. It doesn't have taste in it, but it captures the essence of what it means to taste the Lord and see that He is good. Because taste, in all these examples, becomes an experience for us. Becomes an experience. You mean to tell me that God became a baby? Really? The one posing the questions was puzzled. His thick eyebrows furrowed in doubt and his eyes squinted in caution. Though there were places to sit, he opted not to do so. He preferred to stand safely behind the crowd, unsure, yet intrigued by what he was hearing. Throughout the lecture, he had listened intently, occasionally uncrossing his arms to stroke his whiskered chin. Now, however, he stood upright, punching the air with his finger as he queried, You mean, and he was born in a stable? With animals? He looked as though he'd walked down from one of the adjacent Colorado mountains, stocking hat, down vests, nylon leggings, hiking boots. He sounded as though he honestly didn't know if the story he was hearing was a, a mountain legend or the gospel truth. So the lecturer responded, yes, that's what I mean to say. And then after becoming a baby... He was raised in a blue-collar home. He never wrote any books or held any offices, yet he's called himself the Son of God. Yes, that's right. <coughs> the lecturer being questioned with Saunders, the voice of the Heartbeat radio program, I've never heard anybody tell the story of the Nazarene like he did. He never traveled outside of his own country. You mean he never studied at a university, never lived in a palace, and yet asked to be regarded as the creator of the universe? Yes, that's correct. I was a bit unnerved by the dialogue. I was fresh out of college, gung-ho, enthusiastic. As a volunteer helper in the lecture series, I had come with memorized verses and responses loaded in the chamber of my evangelistic six-shooter. However... I came prepared to defend a lifestyle, not a savior. I was ready to argue mortality, doctrine, heaven, hell. I wasn't ready to argue a man. Jesus had always been someone I just accepted. These questions were a bit too aggressive for my virgin faith. And this crucifixion story, he was betrayed by his own people. No followers, none of his friends came to his defense. And then he was executed like a common thief. Yes, that's the gist of it. The authenticity of the questioner didn't allow you to regard him as a cynic, nor to dismiss him as a show-off. To the contrary, 
He seemed nervous about commanding such attention. His awkwardness betrayed his inexperience in public speaking, but his desire to know was just an ounce or two heavier than his discomfort. So he continued. And after the killing, he was buried in a borrowed grave? Yes, he had no grave of his own, nor money with which to purchase one. The honesty of the dialogue kept the audience spellbound. I realized I was witnessing one of those rare times when two people were willing to question the holy. Here were two men standing on opposite sides of a deep chasm, one asking the other if the bridge that stretched across the chasm could actually be trusted. There was a hint of emotion. He carefully worded the next question, and according to what's written, after three days in the grave, really? He was resurrected? And made appearances to over 500 people? Yes. And all of this was to prove that God still loves his people and provides a way for us to return to him? Right. I knew the question that was coming next. Doesn't this sound rather... Doesn't it sound rather absurd? Yes, I suppose it does. I don't know what happened to that inquisitive fellow in Colorado. He disappeared as quickly as he came, but I'm in his debt. He forced me to see Jesus as I had never seen him. This is the story of Christmas. This is what it means to taste Jesus. So the question I want to leave you with Will you let the Advent traditions, all that we do, will you let them make you feel good and shield you from the truth? Or will you let them take you to a place you've never gone and generate hope? That's your choice. Father, thank you for being such a good, sweet, tasty God. A God who loves us deeply. A God who created us with these wonderful senses so that we even have more refreshing and new ways to experience you. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.